CMOs, entrepreneurs, business owners, and other creative folks about how they're investing in and building brand. Now, because it's Brandwagon, of course, we have our live studio audience. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Makes me so happy to see your, your smiling faces. <laughs> so I was looking at the show notes today, and I realized there is no Brandwagon segment on Brandwagon. What's going on, people? Hey, we need some time. I mean, we got the car. It is currently uninsured. Right. Two flat tires, oh, yes. um, so we couldn't do an update this week, but we're working on it. Okay, so it's a li- things are a little bit more complicated than we thought. Basically, I need to spend a day at the RMV. I'm dreading it. Uh, we're yeah, gonna I, get. We there. all dread that. No one wants to be there. We are gonna get there. Not a good day. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Well, this is what happens when you have a show that you're actually shooting episodically and putting it out. Things change. That's right. That's okay. We're gonna roll with it. We got a really exciting show for you today. We have Dan Kinnery, who's this co-founder and CEO of Harpoon. Um, Harpoon is actually a series of different beer brands. And I sat down and talked to Dan about what it's like to build and scale multiple brands. What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? It was an awesome interview. Dan's a great friend and a mentor. Um, he doesn't know that I don't drink beer, but that's fine. I think it'll be fine. If we could still learn a lot. There's a lot to be learned. <laughs> now, here's something. You may not know that we have a podcast. We have a podcast. You know that? Pretty exciting. So when we're shooting these interviews for Brandwagon, it takes about an hour, hour and a half to dig deep on all the different ways that people think about brand and their careers, what they've learned, what's changed, what hasn't changed, and we just can't fit all of that into the show. So if you want more, if you want more than what you're getting in the interviews on Brandwagon, please go check out the podcast. The podcast is wherever you listen to podcasts. It's on Apple, it's on Stitcher, it's on Spotify, it's everywhere. So check it out, the podcast, everyone. Very excited about it. Now, one of the things you may not know about me is that I'm actually quite a large fan of magic. (laughs) Sleight of hand magic, stage magic, grand illusions, mentalism. You you magic it, I want to see it. (laughs) And having a show, I have a unique opportunity to bring guests in. And so I'm very, very excited that today my interests are colliding. We have a very, very special guest for you. So our next guest was on America's Got Talent. They finished in the top 10. They were the first mentalist on America's Got Talent. They've been on Broadway, and this is true, they've even been on the Ellen Talk Show. Put your hands together, everyone, for Eric Dittleman. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, Now, I'm not one of those brand experts that you have that you normally interview, but I did learn a few things about marketing myself as a professional mentalist or mind reader for the past 10 years. I thought I'd share some of that with you uh, because I found out that color has a lot to do with branding, right? Because if you can actually think of just one color and if the association is strong, strong enough, they'll actually help conjure up certain brands in your mind. So for example, if you're thinking of yellow and you're looking for fast food, you might think of what brand? McDonald's. Exactly. Or red and you're looking for a retail store? Target. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm going to have you pick a color because actually if you can get your audience to think of a color, that's better chances for them to think of your brand. Uh, So I'm going to have you choose a color randomly in just a moment. And just so that the home audience knows you're not in on this. We haven't set this up. You're not a highly trained actor. Not at all. That's what everyone's just going to (laughs) go to. No. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I brought with me this little 
cube uh, that has six different colors on it from like a board game or whatnot. And you're gonna choose a color randomly because you might have your own biases yeah. towards, yeah. Oh, yeah. say like blue for Wistia, right? Mm -hmm. That might influence your choices. So you're gonna put your palm out, you're gonna roll this color yeah. around. And whenever you wanna stop, cover it up, okay? I'm gonna turn away at that point and you're gonna take a quick look at that top color and then cover it up again. Okay. Okay. Uh, open up your hand. I'm gonna start you right on that wistia blue. So okay. just roll that around. I'll look away. When you're set and it's random, take a quick look at the yep. top color. Keep thinking that. Cover that up. I'm gonna turn around. Yes. Yep. And just so everyone knows, there's no monitors. There's no way I can see. There's no camera no. peeking down. No. Only your thinking. I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah. no camera. So keep <laughs> thinking of that color over and over in okay. your mind. Okay. Yes. Okay. Like don't say it out loud, but shout it in your mind. Okay. Because you're, yeah, you're looking, there's your tell right there. You're giving it away. You're just, where you were looking down at the color green. Yes, yes is that right? right? Yes, yeah, yes, show everyone the yes, color on yes, top. That's great. Yeah, that is green. That's amazing. Wow. Now, that feels like it's yeah. mind reading, but it's not. Because if I could just influence you and tell you what I'm influencing you to do, that feels like mind reading, but it's really not. It's influence. That's yeah. what we're going to try here. Okay. We're going to try this one more time. Uh, you're going to roll this around, but this time leave your hand on top. So you don't even know the color. Okay. I'm gonna see if I can get you to okay. stop at the Sounds color. Sounds good. Uh, you just stopped at green. We're gonna start you on green again. Again, I'm gonna look away just in case anything, uh, you know, flashes around or you open your hands. But don't open your hands. Keep it sealed. Don't look at the color. Let me know when you've stopped. Yes. I've, I've stopped. And you're gonna look at. Uh, you're get, You haven't looked at it. No. No one's seen it. No one has anyone seen it. No, no one's seen it. No, the audience hasn't seen it. Nothing no, at no. all. This you don't even know. No, right? I have no clue. But if this worked, Chris. I was actually trying to get you to stop at one particular color, and that was the color green again. If you take a look at the top color. Yes, it's green. Yeah, show everyone. <laughs> now, at this point, you might be thinking, maybe this is always going to stop at green, right? Well, so I'm going to have you roll this around one more time. But this time, you can choose any color you'd like. OK. Try and keep it random. Now that I've already mentioned Wistia's color, you might it be, can't be green inclined now. to That's that. That's what I know. Yeah, or, okay. it, or you okay. might try and throw me off and do green okay, again. Green, yeah. That's uh, okay. We can play the reverse, okay. reverse psychology game. Okay. But I'll look away. You choose. You can even keep looking at it. Let me know, Chris, when you're all set. Oh, I'm good. You're looking down at the color? Yeah, I'm looking at it. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> now, I knew you weren't going to do green again because you want to prove that it's different. So I feel like this time you actually went with the color red. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, yeah show everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We got yeah. red, everyone. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's my amazing. little color game. Yeah, that is amazing. Put it together, Eric. That is so cool. Now, Thank you. I know Thanks. what mentalism is, of course, <laughs> but not everybody does. So what, what is mentalism? Right. So mentalism is kind of a mix between magic and psychology. My job's to blur that line so you don't really know which is happening which. But as a mentalist, there's really only two effects you can portray with different dressings all around it. One is kind of people reading, mm -hmm. uh, which was a little bit of an example of that, the, the first when you're just thinking of the color. Yeah. And that's kind of, um, for our brand purposes, to figure out what your audience is thinking so that you know what to provide for them. Gotcha. And the other part of um, mentalism or mind reading is kind of influencing them. Yeah. Uh, and that's to get them to think of you in your brand. Uh, so that those are the two major elements that I, as a mentalist, can bring to you uh, as a brand marketer. Very cool. Now, but don't you think that some mentalists are kind of spooky? <laughs> yeah, they have that. 
stereotype. <laughs> like they tend to be all dressed in black and a little eerie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but with my brand and the way I present myself is I try to be a little bit more fun and lighthearted. I found my own kind of target niche. Uh, for everyone to just have a fun time and uh, not to think too much about how it's done and just we all think funny thoughts. We might as well laugh at them together, <laughs> right? Um, well, I agree with you there. And then when you know you've been on Ellen, you've been on Penn and Teller show. Like, what do you think of Randwagon? I mean, I just performed in. Broadway, uh, in the Great White Way in New York, and now I'm here dreaming in the uh, lovely office spaces <laughs> in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So I'm living that dream circuit everyone the dream wants is alive. to be. Yeah. The dream is alive. Look, Eric, thank you so much for being here. We really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone. Thanks Eric Tillman. Thank you. We'll be back with my interview with Dan Kennery right after this. on the desk break dancing on your hand now he's dancing in the kitchen it's a hot dog man bluetooth headphones not a script face yeah he likes a party doesn't matter the place i'm saying damn frank Burda show the burger how you jam just a hot dog man now he's spinning on his hand hot dog man now he's spinning on his hand hot dog yeah he's spinning on his hand on his hot dog man yeah he's spinning on his hand hot dog just spinning on his hand hey now what's that green stuff in between your buns is it a shirt or some relish and some onions you got some mustard and some ketchup on your tummy yeah you dance so good but you know you look yummy, right? Tiny little shadow just to add a little depth. Got that all be swagger in your hot dog step. Damn, Frank for the shoulder burger. How you jam? Just a hot dog, man. And he's spinning on his hand. Hot dog, man. Now he's spinning on his hand. Hot dog. Yeah, he's spinning on his hand. Spinning on his hot dog, man. Yeah, he's spinning on his hand. Hot dog. Just spinning on his hand. On his hand. On his hand. On his hand. I'm really excited to play this interview for you today with Dan Kenry. Dan is the co-founder and CEO of Harpoon Brewery. Harpoon Brewery was one of the first craft breweries in America, which means that when they started, there was not a lot of craft breweries to compete with. They were different because they were a craft brewery. Today, craft breweries, microbreweries, there are hundreds of new ones every single year. Their world has tons and tons of competition. And the way you differentiate is with brand. That's why this interview is so fun, and that's why I think you're going to love it. Let's roll the tape. All right. Um, welcome to Brandwagon. Thank you. Very excited that you're here. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah. So, it's a long trip over from the seaport. Yes. Yes. I was going to ask, what's what's life like now, now oh, that you've moved to the seaport? A lot of walking, blue biking. It's a okay. whole new day. It's great. So I'd love to hear the story of how Harpoon started. Oh, boy. Well, you know, Chris, I don't know how dated we are in the show, but yesterday was our 33rd birth birthday. At really? At, Congratulations. At Happy Big birthday. Company. Yeah, yeah thank awesome. you. June 19th, 1986. We were incorporated and uh, started it with two friends, one I went to college with and then another business school classmate of my friend from college, Rich Doyle. We were really motivated by the lack of choice in the beer market in the U.S. We had been fortunate enough to travel in Western Europe. And I really had liked beer a lot in high school and college. And uh, the choices, it was all light yellow lagers coast to coast. Like, we were excited when Molson Golden came into the market. Yeah, that's, that's pretty what exciting. it was like, yeah. you know? It's golden. And even the nationals were all light yellow lagers. But the even the regionals are around back then, Narragansett, Rheingold, Old Style, Stroh, they were all light yellow lagers. Okay. You know? So you could change the tap handles and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference gotcha. in the beer. 
went to Europe and was like, holy shit, a kid in the candy store. Every town or city you'd go in would have its own brewery and it'd be a different style. You'd be in Ireland, it'd be the Stouts in England, the Pale Ales, the IPAs. Go to Belgium, Germany. It was like, this is incredible. Came back here like, why is the U.S. the most sophisticated consumer market in the world? Why is it just an absolute desert when it comes to choice for beer? And, you know, similar coffee back then. I mean, your coffee was Maxwell House at home or yeah. your or gas station coffee. That was... How's the gas station stuff? It sucked. <laughs> Just like it sounds, you know? And then Duncan came on the scene. It was yeah. like, wow, Duncan... The secret of Duncan was the donuts were one thing, but it was like, you know, the coffee's really good. Yeah. There was kind of an awakening. If there'd been a 50 years where everything was going towards bigger, bigger, bigger as far as consumer products are concerned, all of a sudden people started to say, wait a second, you know what? There's no choice. There's no diversity and I'm, we're willing to pay more for a product that we like that has a story behind it. So we kind of tapped into that a little bit, started the brewery in 86 and opened up. And the, one of the most important decisions we took early on is where to locate. One of our founding visions was we didn't want to be, back then in the U.S., all the breweries were like in industrial parks out on the interstate. We wanted to be in the, close to downtown because that's what we saw in Europe. Brewers are part of the community. But so you, you knew from the beginning, like, we're going to do this. And how it's presented and where it is matters. Absolutely. We wanted people to come visit us. We had tours Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday at one o'clock. And usually it'd be during two, like one person or nobody, yeah. you know, would come in then. Yeah. I had no idea how many homebrewers there were. Yeah. It was homebrewers. It was homebrewers that provided the early enthusiasm for micro-brewed beers was called back then. They were like your, your early audience, basically. Absolutely. They kind of got it. Yeah. And it was like, wow, okay, this is really cool. We've been doing this in our basement. Now it's fun to see that actual local breweries are starting to reopen. Okay, so you have a bunch of different brands at Harpoon. Can you walk yep. me through what they are? Yep, absolutely. Well, Harpoon, original, UFO, started in the mid-90s. We purchased clown shoes two years ago. We introduced Arctic Summer, a spiked seltzer, last month in May of 2019 with Polar. And then we're rebranding our cider, which has been Harpoon Cider for 10 years. It's coming out next month as City Roots Craft Cider. Okay. So you have all these brands. Five brands as of next yeah. month. Yeah. And why isn't it just one? Great question. Sometimes I wonder that myself. <laughs> and I, you know, we've had some interesting conversations about it. Like, could it all be under the Love Beer, Love Life umbrella, which has been Harpoon? Well, then what cider? Cider's not a beer. Hard seltzer's not a beer. I think the short of it is, Chris, they speak to, to different consumers. You know, the clown shoes consumer, the work we've done is really a pretty different person than the harpoon consumer. Much more adventurous in craft, kind of into that more esoteric style of beer that you can't find every place. Cares more to have a beer that others don't have. Harpoon is about bringing people together. It's a different consumer in that regard. UFO is similar. It's fruitier flavored, lighter beer. Excuse a little bit more female. Um Arctic summer, this is a whole new category for us. Uh, it's a different consumer again. It's a little bit of overlap with the better for you, healthier segment. But we're partnering with Polar, you know, the 130-year-old leading seltzer maker here in New England. And so this is more about the Polar branding, if you will, than it is a Harpoon branding. So it's a standalone product. And then final one is rebranding our cider. We've had a great cider for 10 years. Separating that from Harpoon, we feel, will give it a better opportunity for success because people who drink cider want to stay in that cider world as opposed to be in the craft beer world, if that, that makes yeah, any sense. That makes perfect sense. I mean, that's exactly why this is called Brandwagon and it's a separate show. 
which we believe is going to have a, like a slightly separate, different audience than if this is called the Wistia Show. Yep. And so we've done that over years and built out brands within our marketing. And it makes a lot one, of sense. One of the critical things, because you can take bigger risks, people care about different things. There's actually different audiences right. behind all of those things. And it's cool, too, to think about how the love beer, love life. Like, there's certain things about Harpoon that are always going to be the same mm-hmm. across any beverage that you make. And they're like brand promises, basically. That's right. That are all tweaked, but for different consumers, right? And we have kind of the umbrella mission or purpose now is to make great drinks to bring people together. So we've modified it to kind of say, hey, you're doing cider and seltzer now, but what are some of those themes that as a company, you know, like with you guys, I'm sure there's similar things with, you know, Brandwagon and Wistia that'll always be the same. Yeah. And our approach to the market, the way we conduct ourselves, what we want our brands to do. Yeah. There's some real similarities between them, but they really speak in different language to some extent. And that's maybe, how to, for me, is a better way to understand it. I'm, I've always been impressed with how you've been able to take these risks um, with adding these different brands and thinking about talking to different consumers in that moment. I mean, I think for us, like it took the buyback, structuring the business differently to be able to do that. Like, how do you think about taking these risks? It's not easy. It's not easy. I think sometimes when you have runs, our early years were tough. Yeah. And I think that's good. I, I have been saying to people, if you've gotten in the beer business in the last five years, it's too bad. It's a bad time to get in. And I know that's counterintuitive. Like, well, it's easy. Everyone making beer, it's just growing and we're making money. It's like, yeah, but the, the, the lessons you're learning and the skills you're developing are not going to serve you well long-term because in our business, if we're not innovating and changing and taking risks, we're going to be gone. Yeah. We're going to be gone. And there are lots of examples of, I won't even name them, but regional craft breweries that have been around the country, you know, Maybe not as long as us, but close. And yeah. Almost not relevant anymore. Well, it's just so funny you say that because I feel like the exact same thing is true in tech, which is that it is absolutely constantly changing. Constantly. There's new tech all the time. There's new things you can do. Products that are relevant become in, irrelevant overnight. And it's one of the things that we've seen like, wow, having a brand matters because people will stick with you and they understand what your values mm-hmm. are. They can take a guess at what you're doing next. But yeah, it's always it's always about continuing to taking continuing yeah. to take risks and pushing yourselves. And I think that's a key job of a CEO as well, because other people are doing specific jobs and they can't always be lifting up their heads and kind of trying to look over that horizon or say, We're gonna take that risk. Yeah. And they kind of look to us to do that. And so how do you I mean, you've had a bunch of different brands. You've also had a time when it was really, I understand Harpoon, just the main brand, and you have many to yeah. get into it. But like if you want to build a strong brand. This is what you need to do. How do you how do you think about that? You know, consistency. I think we didn't have advertising. So that was never part of our mix. I think there was an authenticity to our brand from the get-go. Because getting back to like where we located the brewery tours, inviting people down, how do we treat people when they come to see us? Yeah. All those things have to factor into your brand. I, I think we've gotten some of our most dedicated customers from the complaints line. And That's there's amazing. one story I remember. I don't know, this is years ago, about winter warmer. They got like 11 winter warmer and a 12-pack. Okay. Well, Jamie, whatever, contacted them, and we had a case of winter warmer delivered to their back porch. And that person went on to say they've been a lifelong fan. They met their wife at a Harpoon Festival. They've had like parties at the brewery. It's just, so we, and that's happened not to that extent, but time and time again. So how was, what was their interaction like with us? Did they think we cared about them as a consumer? We weren't going to hide behind, we screwed up. Sorry, you, you paid for 12, you got 11. It was our, on us. But people understand if you say you're sorry and it's a human error. Yeah. And I think that kind of interaction, every interaction that you have with your consumer has got to be consistent with that love beer, love life, or the brand doesn't mean anything. I think it's just, it's just so interesting because 
building a brand, it can be so complicated and confusing because you keep making these investments that you can't really see the results mm-hmm. often, yeah. but you know it. Like my, in my experience, it's been like, it's always qualitative. Like it's yeah. that person who we've had exactly the same thing where people are super upset. You actually get on the phone with them and you walk through the problem and you help them solve it. You mm-hmm. spend a ton of time and they're like, they become your biggest they advocate. Your, that's right. How do you measure that? Like, how do right. you, how do you scale that? Like values, the way things mm-hmm. are set up, the culture of the company it, in general brand is more important than it used to be. I mean, in craft beer, it seems like it's it's more important than it's ever been. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about this too, because, you know, when we look back that we introduced IPA in 1993, first IPA in the East Coast, right? And people were like, this is way too hoppy. This will never go, whatever. It was off on a a roll. And we probably had about a 20-year run. And this is all (laughs) hindsight. Other than for like two or three years in the late 90s, that worked pretty well since the early 90s until like 2013, 14. And then the world changed because we went from, you know, 2,000 breweries in the country to almost 8,000 breweries in the country. And we went to this hyper-local. And so all of a sudden, you know, if you just do the math, if you think there are are 7,500 breweries in the country, every one of them is making like five IPAs. Yeah. Then the math goes, what is that, 37,500 or 38,500 IPAs in the country? Yeah. I mean, it's like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so we're the first one on the East Coast. Yeah. So, you know, we've had, and, our, and when you said, what is marketing at Harpoon, you know, until about five years ago? Well, it was design, and then it was festivals, promotions, fundraisers, road race, Harpoon helps, et cetera. That's what it was. It's, but as far as, like, coming up with campaigns, the creative, et cetera, no, that was kind of an afterthought because we really didn't need it. And when you didn't need that at that moment, like, is that because the connection to your customers and your audience is just so strong that that was continued to propel the business? It was because people knew us and knew us well. Yeah. And so they kind of knew, well, Harpoon, what is Harpoon? It's love, love beer, love life. I guess that's the yeah. tagline. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? I've been to the brewery. I had a oh, my buddy. You know, he met his wife, whatever. There was a yeah. stories around that resonated with people around love beer, love life. So we didn't need to do much more with it. Yeah. You know, put up a pretty picture of like a group of people having beer yeah. at a beach or at a, you know, yeah. all of a sudden it's like, I want to be like, that's love beer, love yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we didn't have to give it much more thought beyond that. Okay. And we had other brand, you know, we had the UFO brand yeah. that we introduced, you know, like in the mid nineties. Yeah. And that was, we loved wheat beer at okay. our Hefeweizens. Yeah. There were no wheat beers in the market okay. in the Northeast. Yeah. And so we really liked it and we wanted to introduce a wheat beer. But back then, people thought cloudy beer was bad beer. Like, wow, that beer has gone bad. Yeah, it's cloudy. There's it. shit yeah. in that beer. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It can't, but it's true. And so, but we loved the style. Yeah. We said, you know, we're not going to risk harpoon with this. We better come up with something different okay. than just harpoon to okay. kind of say, yeah, this is supposed to be cloudy. So Interesting. Came up with UFO, Harpoon's unfiltered offering or unidentified floating objects, whatever you wanted to call it. We kind of just had some had fun with it. Yeah. So there was a little bit of a sub-brand to Harpoon. And that helped you take that risk. It helped us take that risk. It helped us take that risk. And the other piece of that was that we we had such a great presence in Boston that we would typically have at least a couple of draft lines with Harpoon IPA and the seasonal, let's say. Okay. And people didn't want to give us another line, but another Harpoon line. But if it was a UFO line... I'm like, okay, we'll try this UFO. I'd be interested to hear kind of like your advice to somebody, um, someone who's starting, someone who's thinking about taking those risks. Like, how do they do it? <laughs> you know, get good people around you. Be open to learning from other people, making a decision, then executing well and learning from them. You know, it's like, 
do you think you've made more mistakes or right decisions in your career? I mean, I might say I've made, fortunately, the bigger decisions I've made have been good ones, but I'm sure I've made more mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Quantitatively, <laughs> I'm sure I've made more mistakes and yeah. I've made the right decisions, yeah. but the big ones have typically been good. And if you're going to, if, if you screwed something up, like, Learn fast. One of my favorite words in the last couple of years is curating. Yeah. Like, what are you paying somebody to do? No matter who it is, your, your, your manufacturer, your wholesaler, your retailer. I want you to curate a list for me. Like, if I'm coming to a restaurant, you're trusting them. Yeah. You're trusting them to kind of put a menu together to buy the right kind of food and curate something for you. And I think in craft beer, that we've been a little bit of this, just we're throwing everything, everything up on the wall. What's the next New England IPA? I don't want to miss it. Yeah. And with 7,500 breweries, it's like, I think consumer consumer fatigue, it's just like, I want to trust your brand. So curate it a little bit more. Don't try to be everything to everybody. And so I'm kind of fomenting some of that thinking these days. Dan Kennery, right? What an interview, my God. I'm so glad that Dan is here in Boston, was willing to share his story with us. When you're building a brand, you got to take risks and you got to figure out how to get comfortable with them. Dan has helped me get comfortable with them. And I hope that you feel a little bit more comfortable taking some risks with your brands today. So if you can just try one thing that you wouldn't have done before, that would make me happy. Aww. That's our episode of Brandwagon. Thanks for being here. Thanks to the live studio audience. Thanks to crew, and we'll see you next time. Next time on Brandwagon, Chris sits down with Veronica Parker Hahn from the Effie Awards, and we get an update on that 1991 Champagne Volvo.